Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And, and if you're joining us for the first time, this is our third sermon in Hebrews. Let me just briefly recap the big idea so that you can jump right in with us. Hebrews is a book written by we don't know who. It is written to a people that we're not so sure. But what we do know is that it is God's Word, that it seems to be in the genre of a sermon letter, not just a letter, not just a sermon, but really a sermon letter. And it's a unique uh, piece of literature in that way. It is powerful. It is pithy. It is very clear. It begins robustly out of the gate with doctrines of revelation and of the person and work of Jesus Christ and who He is. Now as we begin chapter 2, you're going to come to the thesis of the book. Some of you English majors, writing professors, you're going to see fantastic writer structures his thoughts beautifully. He puts us to shame. We're supposedly the most educated and schooled people with the most schools and graduate schools. But you look at the literature written here, and it is beautiful. It's fantastic. And here he wrote in such a primitive-seeming time with so many less tools than us. When he quotes Scripture, remember he's not Googling on his phone. He's not thumbing through a personal Bible at home. This is from memory. This is from their oral tradition, from the singing of psalms. This is their full awareness of the scriptures they had been given and the reverence that they show for it. So that's the context of what we're doing. And before I read, let me say this. As one who speaks uh, as a part of my calling, and even you in personal relationships, you probably know this to be true. You never want Well, some people do. Most people don't want to speak a hard word. Most of us like to blunt uncomfortable conversation. Some people like to blow things up. But most of us, it's it's difficult to speak a hard word. But the author of Hebrews is going to do that this morning. He's going to speak an uncomfortable word that is intended to arouse a response in people. And this morning, this passage is a tough one. These are, these are tough words. These are hard words. This is one of five times that the author of Hebrews does this as he's speaking to these Christians, and remember their context, under pressures, cultural and religious pressures. They're thinking about walking away from the gospel, walking away from Jesus, and returning to the more comfortable religious Jewish life and traditions that they had lived. So that's the context. So give your attention to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding... And every violation and disobedience received its just punishment. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, 
was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let's pray that God would grant us the right understanding and application of his word. Lord, would you do that rousing work within us and our stubborn and our weary hearts? Lord, if any of us has not persevered in faith, if any of us has sought to wander, to drift, then Lord, would you do in us what you sought to do in those first hearers of this sermon and call us to perseverance and give us the grace to do it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a hard word from the author of Hebrews this morning. This morning, the title of the sermon is, Do Not Drift. That is the theme that he is speaking to these Christians in spiritual peril of walking away from what they have heard. And the subtitle I've given to this is The Sin of Neglect and the Reality of Apostasy. So a few things as I work my way through about five things in this passage. I think that's all I can squeeze in. The first is this, the sin of neglect. Now it depends on the version that you're reading. Um, I use the NIV and the ESV. And this morning I think I've quoted from the NIV, but some of my points are going to reference words used in the ESV. And one of those is the word neglect. So in the NIV it said, if you ignore so great a salvation. In the ESV, it says, if you neglect so great a salvation. You understand the harmony between those words and, and those meanings. I'm going to emphasize the neglect aspect in this way. You know what it is in our world, in our culture, to hear of neglect, and neglect being a bad thing. Uh, child neglect. Very serious issue. Uh, you can hear stories every summer of children being left in cars, of children being found to be malnourished in their homes. And we hear that and we clearly understand what neglect is. It's not doing what you're supposed to do. It's not offering, providing, or being dutiful in the things you're supposed to do. And children being such a precious gift... We, we clearly understand that kind of sin of neglect. But there's other evidences of neglect that we know and understand in our lives. You can neglect your marriage. You can be so busy and occupied with work that you neglect your marriage. And every one of us understands that reality. You can neglect your own body and health, your own self, by not taking care of yourself, you neglect yourself at the cost of being too busy or too distracted. You can neglect your, your house and the maintenance required on your house. I mean, imagine if you had a leak in a bathroom and neglected tending to it forever. I mean, another, another day. We can neglect anything and everything around us. And neglect will have consequences. And they're bad. 
They're always bad. But what the author of Hebrews, Hebrews is highlighting is spiritual neglect. Neglecting your faith, neglecting the good of your own soul. And this powerful argument that he's making is saying, that is the one thing you cannot afford to neglect. Neglect of the faith, neglect of the soul. And that would be what leads to what results in apostasy. Now that word may not be familiar to you, but it is a thoroughly biblical concept. And apostasy we could, we could also describe as the hardening of your heart. The withdrawal from the faith community, the withdrawal from Jesus, the withdrawal from all that God has given you. It's a spiritual hardening of heart. It's an ignoring of the things that God has done for you and offered you. It's neglect. It's the the sin of ignoring what God has given you. It's a hardness of heart. It's neglect of spiritual priorities. So five things from this passage that that I'm going to emphasize this morning. And there's a lot more that could be said. There's some things I just can't get to this morning. But the first thing I want to highlight is the word therefore. And I think we have an outline for you. Perhaps we have an outline. First thing out of the gate is therefore. Now here's another NIV ESV difference. The NIV has put the therefore in the middle of verse 1. The ESV leads with therefore. There's no big difference there. Because remember when we read something and it says therefore, we always ask, what's the therefore therefore, right? So the, the therefore is therefore this. He begins with therefore in chapter 2, which is a reference to everything he just said in chapter 1. It's his way of saying, all right, in light of the truth and the authority that I just stated to you, all in chapter 1, concerning Jesus as the Son of God, who is superior to the prophets and the angels. That's what the therefore means. In light of all the truths in chapter 1. So what were those truths? It was a doctrine of revelation and a doctrine of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And he says, therefore, since those things are true, point number two, or the second thing I'll comment on. He says, we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard. Now that is a packed statement. I want us to see several things there. We... He he includes himself in everything that he's saying. As hard as these statements are, and as serious as the warnings are, he says we. He does not say you. Now, as those who listen to sermons, uh, you probably appreciate it when the preacher doesn't start talking about you and your problems. Maybe it's easier to hear somebody that says, we are sinners. We struggle, right? That's somewhat of what he's doing here. But even more than that, I think it's this. He understands that there is this covenantal obligation that has always existed with God's people. All of God's people. And that is something we are all in together. And so we are always on alert seeking to discern our own hearts, 
and if we're disregarding the things that we've heard. And so that's a healthy posture of a Christian, you might say. We understand that in covenant relationship with God, there are duties and obligations and stipulations that that we need to take seriously, lest we drift away, he would say. So we, he includes himself because this is the condition, the expectation, the stipulation that God has always required of those in covenant with him as his people. And not only does he say we, he says we now must pay the most careful attention. Well, what does that mean? Well, one commentator made it very helpful to understand what that means when he says it's a nautical term. It's a term that one at sea on a ship commanding the direction of the vessel, one that he would understand and that he would use. It is in reference to keeping the course Paying attention to the course you are on and where you are going. So for us in our day, children, you get in the car to go on a trip and mom or dad says something like, Hey Siri, take me to the locust, to the locust, to the closest, to the closest whatever store. And, And you know what it is, if you don't pay attention to your map and you start talking on a trip, Right? You don't pay attention to, to Siri or whatever Google map you use. You can veer off course and miss your turn. Thankfully, it redirects on its own. None of that was true back then. Um, now, they didn't have compasses. I don't know if they had maps of any kind. But you get the idea is he's saying you better pay attention to your course or you'll get off course and be lost and be misdirected. So it's a, a nautical term. He says you must pay the most careful attention, and then to what? To what you have heard, or to what we have heard, actually, he says. He continues to include himself. To what we have heard. Well, what is it that we have heard? It's that same gospel truth of the Son of God, the authority that he has. And he says, we have heard these things. Now, it's very interesting because some of you are familiar with Hebrews and you know those five warnings that are coming and the threat of apostasy. And then we understand that, wait a minute, the eternal security of believers, once saved, always saved. So why these threats of drifting away? Well, because the reality of the covenant, the conditions of the covenant, and once those saved are always saved, if truly saved. And God only knows who that is. But it's important to note what he does here. He doesn't say to what we have believed. He says to what we have heard. Because he doesn't know if they've believed it or not. He knows that they've heard it. And he says you better pay all the most careful attention to what you've heard. He doesn't say that they've believed it, but he knows that they've heard it. Because he's communicated it to them. The gospel truth preached and heard is not necessarily believed, right? You can grow up hearing sermons all your life. And you may not believe a word that you heard. So hearing does not equal believing. 
And he is calling these people to discern themselves. How could you walk away from everything that you've heard? Perhaps you've not determined that it's true and you've not put your faith in it truly. Thirdly, he says, so that we do not drift away. A few things about this. Number one, he includes the word we again. He is including himself under the threat of drifting. That he must pay careful attention so that he himself doesn't drift away. So pastorally, he continues to include himself because he has the same obligation of all of us who believe. Those same covenant conditions, obligations, and stipulations. Second thing about this statement is that it too is a nautical term. It's another word that would be used by one who directed a ship. And listen to what one commentator says about this. The Greek word the author uses is a nautical term used to describe a ship at sail that has drifted off course or a ship in harbor that has slipped its moorings. In other contexts, it's used to describe something that slips from our minds or even a ring that slips off a finger. A key emphasis here is that when these drifts and slips happen, they're often unnoticed until the consequences are inevitable. And that's the real threat of drifting away. It's slow. It's gradual. It can go unnoticed. And before you know it, if you've not paid the most careful attention to the life of your soul and your spiritual well-being, he said, you can be adrift and you can be lost and you are in great peril. That's the hard word that I'm telling you the author of Hebrews is speaking to all of us. Do not neglect the life of the soul because it can drift away. It can slip through your hands if you don't keep your eye on the ball, so to speak. Years ago, um, when we were in seminary, I had a job as an after-school director, working with second graders to fifth graders, I think it was. It was actually a very fun job, uh, getting to see them after school and playing on the playground and just playing with kids. Uh, but one day I came home, and I had lost my wedding band. It had slipped off my sweaty hand while playing with those kids. And I had to order a new wedding band, and I had to get a smaller one. Pastor Paul was thinking ahead. He was like, you know, 20 years from now, you're going to need a bigger ring. Well, I didn't need a bigger ring then like I do now. But it can slip away. I didn't notice it for hours. It slipped away. And that's the kind of warning that the author of Hebrews is saying. You can drift away. You can slip away. And you need to be careful. Then he says, point number four, how shall we escape? He uses the language of escape. Escape from what? Escape from what? This is a part of that hard word, pastorally, that he's speaking. He's speaking of escaping the just judgment that sinners deserve from a holy God 
for the sinful nature we have inherited by birth. A just judgment. In verse 2, which I'm not highlighting this morning, but in verse 2, listen to how he... I will highlight it. Listen to how he emphasizes it. He says, for, the, for since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Israel had a proven history of disobedience and being corrected firmly by the one true God. And the author of Hebrews is saying, don't take God lightly. He is a just and holy God. He will treat sins as they deserve. And your only hope of escaping that judgment is if Christ, as your perfect sacrifice, and His blood covers you. So how shall you escape that judgment if you withdraw from Christ and His church and His people and want nothing to do with that blood covering? That's the pastoral word that he's speaking and applying to these people. And it is a strong and powerful one. For the author of Hebrews, this being in Christ and being faithful and persevering in the faith, it's a matter of life or death, spiritually. Life or death. Listen to what F.F. Bruce says in his commentary on Hebrews. He says, the truth and teaching of the gospel must not be held too loosely, for it is the matter of life or death, and it must be held too tightly at all costs. The danger of drifting from it cannot be stated too gravely. Do you believe that? That's the warning applied to every one of us. Hold on tight even as He is holding on tight to you. Do not drift, even as He holds you fast and secures you in ways that you cannot secure yourselves. But the obligation and call is upon us still to persist in the faith and to not drift. Then fifthly, and lastly, and here's the key word, if we neglect... So great a salvation. The sin of neglect. The sin of not making your spiritual life a priority. Of not making the faith of your soul a priority. The sin of neglect in that kind of way. Ignoring what you know to be true. And letting your heart grow numb towards God toward God's people, towards God's Word. That's the warning. That's what it is to neglect. C.S. Lewis on the subject says this, We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. No belief will automatically remain alive on its own in your mind. It must be fed. If you examined a hundred people who lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would be reasoned out of it by honest argument. Or do most people just drift away into unbelief? Do you hear what he's saying? He's suggesting that, look, unbelief 
within the church. It's usually not a big explosive moment. It's the slow, gradual hardening of our hearts as we withdraw from being in the places we need to be around the means of grace that God has given to refresh our weary hearts. You see, the concern for these people is they're just slowly withdrawing, slowly stepping away. And then you know what it is in community. Once you step away from a body, it can be hard to re-engage and come back in. Right? Or maybe there's hard feelings between people and you know, we don't, we don't want to see them, so we'll just stay away for a while. And the author to Hebrews would say, be careful, be careful, be careful. You need God's Word. You need God's worship. You need God's people. And so within a little congregation like GPC, let's, let's make this real. If this is such a serious warning, shouldn't we be doing things to try to refresh the hearts of all of God's people, to make it easy to be around God's Word, to make it be easy to be around the means of grace, to be easy to pray together, to have fellowship together. We should prioritize that if this is as serious as the author of Hebrews says it is. And so I think we do try to prioritize that to the best of our ability. We had Sunday school this morning to talk about Christian marriage, a saturation, a saturation of, of scriptures that could encourage your heart and your soul or your marriage, wherever it is. We have small groups, prayer groups that seek to meet during the week. We'll have this meeting today, this luncheon about dinner groups to try to enhance the fellowship and our people knowing people in our church. We have the Lord's Supper once a quarter. We have men that get together and pray, women that get together and pray. Could we do more? Absolutely. But make sure you're making use of what's currently on the menu because God says it's for your good. And any time, and this is how I talk to students for 20 years, sometimes a student would say, well, you know, I just don't like the people that are there. It's not, not my chemistry. Pastor Paul would say, but they're God's people that he's put in your life. So maybe you need to learn to like them. They're God's people. And so for a more robust fellowship of people that care for each other, for their faith, for their soul care, let's pray that God would help us to pay more careful attention to the things that we've heard, the things that are true, lest we drift away with hard calloused, numb hearts. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, that is our, our humble prayer because we know our own hearts. We know they callous quickly. They can go from warm to cold quickly. But Lord, your word is true and eternal and it is our only hope. And so Lord, that we would not drift away that we would show up where the means of grace are in order to grow up in that grace. Would you do that in us? And would you help us to reach and welcome others who maybe are drifting, who maybe need this pastoral loving word from the author of Hebrews? Do it, Lord, for our good and for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.